1 through 16 tonight. Philippians 2, 1 through 16. I will be in the New King James Version tonight. For those who were here last time, I was in New Living and confused everyone. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, that nothing be done through selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. There's a lot in there. I thought I was going to do the whole book tonight. God had a different idea. Again, um, this book, this letter was written by Paul um, around A.D. 61, while he was in um, the Roman prison. Um, again, um, he did not let his circumstances negate him doing what God has called him to do. So starting at verse, back to verse 1 and 2, 
Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul is saying here, if there is any encouragement, comfort from his love, any fellowship in your hearts, is there any tenderness showing? Or you know, are you sympathetic? You know, since you belong to Christ. In like verse 2, he says, like-minded, love one another, working together with one heart and purpose. That reminds me of when we did the, the backpack ministry. Um, I had an opportunity to one of the, the night when they put everything together, and it was a real blessing for me to watch. Um, I just kind of stood behind a little bit. I did help, but um, I really was blessed to watch everybody um, just putting stuff together, working as a team, as one family, to um, accomplish God's will and His purposes. And it was really neat to just see that all come together and everybody working together. And, and it was like, I guess, around 80, almost, almost 100 put together. And it was a real blessing to watch that. And that, to me, was an example of working together as a family, as a team, um, and um, going about God's business. Christians, we need to be about God's business. Working together with one heart and one purpose. And what is the purpose? Well, telling others about Jesus Christ is number one. In whatever way you do that. And encouraging each other. And let's realize something. As Christians, God does not need us. Not at all. He allows us. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. In Luke 9.23 and 24. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Paul is trying to tell the church, stop being selfish. Stop thinking of yourself better than others. And something that God reminded me is that many of our ways is just the opposite of God's ways. He does things just the opposite of the way we would do it. And that's God. 
We are to think of others better than ourselves. In Luke 9, 23 and 24. Oh, I said that one already. I'm sorry. Let's go to verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Well, then Paul again reminds us, he's trying to remind the church, again, not to neglect ourselves. It'll get kind of smelly. But don't neglect yourself. Um, You have your own needs. You have to just keep providing for yourself. But it's not to neglect others in doing that. Remember, something to remember is Paul is writing this from the prison for doing God's business. He, He was in prison behind closed gates, all his privileges taken away. Can't imagine how uncomfortable that was, but yet he still continued to write these letters to encourage the Christians. This is the type of attitude is more expected from believers if We're thinking of nothing but ourselves. But we are Christians. Supposedly Christians. Because sometimes when I see some Christians, you wouldn't know it. And I can't say that, especially in the past, that when somebody looked at me or saw me come by, they would have known the difference. And um, I was embarrassed to even admit to that. But this is expected from non-believers because they're, they're blind. They don't know any better. They're in sin. And I've been there too. We all have been there at some point. And we need to remember as Christians where we've, been, where we've come from. And again, we are talking about believers in Christ that Paul is encouraging. He wasn't doing it for his own, you know, Enjoyment to a point, he there was a need there, and he was at, going about God's business. These people were not listening, and they were getting off track. This even happens in this church. Not being fed on a daily basis. Being in fellowship every, as much as possible. Being on your knees in prayer will cause you to only look at yourself and your own needs, your own wants. It's about me, myself, and I, the trinity of stupidity. It's all about that. You know, it's... 
It's like having a body of water. Say I dig a hole and I fill it with water. And I just leave it there. Eventually, it's going to get stagnant and it's going to smell. It's going to give off a stench and it's not going to be good for sustaining life. It's not going to be good for much other than mosquitoes. But it's going to be useless. But now if you take that same body of water, you dig two out, an inlet and an outlet. Now you have a place for fresh water to come in and another place for the water to go out. In time, the, that same body of water now is going to become fresh. Now it's going to start sustaining life. It's going to be useful. But that's the same for us. If we take that now, that same concept spiritually. If we don't go you know, as much as we can for studies, get into the Word, in fellowship to encourage one another, or to uh, be in, in prayer for our lives and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit to guide and transform us, we too will get stagnant. We, we will too get smelly spiritually. We will not give off the fragrance of Jesus Christ. It won't be very pleasurable to others. They will not see Jesus in us. They will see everything other than that. And that would be a shame. Because many people out there do not have Jesus as Lord and Savior in their lives. And they need to see that in us. If they don't have us as Christians doing it, who will? Again, we need to remember God does not need us because he's God. But rather, he allows us to be a part of it, to be part of the ministry, to be a part of his purpose. Do you really, truly realize the blessings behind serving? I think if everybody did, we wouldn't have so many people not serving. Blessings behind serving has really blessed me and my wife, and I know, all, you know others that who serve. You, you get to see lives changed. You get to see people come to Christ. You get to see them transformed into Christ's image. And because of that, you see families changed and families used. Missionaries. All these servants. I can't think of anything better. Nothing in this world, nothing that this world has to offer is better than that. I mean, it's so much better. Let's continue Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
We are not to do this in our own abilities. We need to be Christ-minded. I don't know how many times I've messed up doing it in my own mind. But we need to be Christ-minded. Glad you asked. How do you do that? Well, first thing we need to find out, what kind of mind does God have? What kind of mind does Jesus have? What kind did he have when he walked this earth? What kind of man was he? Well, let's continue and it'll explain. Philippians 6, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Not to consider it robbery. To come here as a child, Jesus made himself nothing compared to the rights he had as God's son, sitting on his right hand. He gave up all those privileges as Jesus. He humbled himself and became a slave in human form for each each one of us, every one of us. You know, he made himself of no reputation. In verse 7, it says, But he made himself of no reputation, taking a form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Those of you who have heard of Gail Elwin, he um, has a unique way of describing things. He has a great love for the Lord, And I just love the way he describes it. I won't quote it exactly, but it'll come pretty close. But he stated that how it would be if we were um, put in charge of God, you know, Jesus' coming. (laughs) He says, we would have huge speakers as high as into the clouds, you know, a billion watts of power. You can hear it on the other side of the world announcing his coming. Now, would Joseph and his mother or Mary come on a donkey? No way. We'd hire a huge limo, have them come in with class. We'd uh, have all these lights on, give it all the attention. You know, they deserve it, right? Now, would they, you know, would this baby be born if it was up to us, in a manger, you know, in a barn with animals, no. We'd, you know, rent a 20-star hotel, mansion, with all his own servants, his own doctors, his nurses. He'd get the best of everything. But did Jesus do that? Did God do that? Nope. I like that exaggeration because it's just the way our God is. He would, he's just the opposite of that. He, 
he could have done a lot. He could have created himself as right to an adult. Started right at that point. But he chose. Did you ever ask yourself that? He chose to come as an infant, as a baby, who relied on someone else to take care of him. That's humility. And what motivated him to do that? His love for each one of us. Philippians 8, verse 8. And being, <clears throat> and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was obedient until all the way to the death of the cross. All that Jesus did was because of his love for each one of us. You know, he endured a lot. For me, for you, for every one of us. What? Did you ever ask yourself what he... Did you ever sit back and wonder or ponder on what did he endure for each one of us? I mean, what did he really endure? And it was by choice. Well, I wrote some down. First thing he endured was rejection. If you want, you can turn to it, or if not, I think it's up there. Do we have it over there? Is it up there today? Tonight? Anyway, uh, Numbers 14.11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? with all the signs which I have performed among them. He endured a lot of rejection. and he's, The ones that rejected him, ones that actually saw the miracles he performed, that, you know, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that concept. I can't understand how you can actually physically, with your own eyes, see miracles performed. People healed, eyes, you know, healed, lame walking, raising people from the dead, and not see that. But yet, yet, God knew those hearts, he knows our hearts, all our hearts, and yet, they still rejected him. That baffles me. But you know what, if I was there, I probably would be the same. Each one of us are. Would be. Well, number two, what else did he endure? Well, he, en- he endured the non comforts of home. Matthew 8.20 says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He gave up all his comforts of heaven. 
again, baffles me. I am very thankful and grateful. But he left the comforts of heaven. Leaving our comforts of home, a bed, you know, everything, would be very uncomfortable. But nothing near as being in heaven and then giving that up to come here as a baby. That again baffles me. But that's our Lord. Number three, what else did he endure? He endured a lot of mocking and spitting. Matthew 27, 31. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Again, he endured this for you and me. For you and me. What else did he endure? When Jesus endured beatings. In Mark 14.65, it says, Then some began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy. You know, prophecy. And the officers struck him with the palms of his hands. I just picture that, and, and it made me tear as I was studying this. Because he really, he did that all for us, for me. He endured the beatings, the spitting, the mocking, the rejection for you and I. This is the Lord we serve. He also endured thorns, the crown of thorns. Now my version here, this one here, I have um, Matthew 27, 29. It says, When they twisted the crown, uh, a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hell, king of Jews. Personally, I don't picture them just laying it on his head. I don't see them firing off the little, the sharp, I don't know if you know what that looks like. It's like two and a half, about maybe an inch and a half, two inches long, these thorns, and they're razor sharp. I don't picture these uh, Romans making it comfortable for him at all. I don't see them filing off the tips and laying it on nice. It was sharp, and they forced it onto his head to draw blood. And again, he did that for you and me. For you and me. Another thing he endured was the nails. I said nails, but it's stakes. They weren't little nails. They were stakes driven into his hands and his feet. And when he was vertical, it held him on that cross, these nails. I can't imagine how painful that was. The average man, maybe 150, 170 pounds. That's a lot of weight on just nails. And he did that for us. Number seven, he endured our sins. Right at that moment, Jesus felt 
what it felt like to be separated from his father. And at that moment, he took all those sins onto himself for each one of us, for past, present, and future. He felt that separation from his father. And again, for you and me. And number eight, lastly, he endured the death on the cross right to the end. But yet he was obedient. And what drove him to do all this was his love for each one of us. That's how much he loves us. Going back to the kind of mind Jesus has, I think this says a lot. This says it all. This is the Christ-like mind set we as Christians, we need to have. I mean, thank God that we don't have to crucify ourselves on a cross for our sins any longer. We're not asked to do that. And compared to that, what we are asked to do as Christians is nothing. Even though sometimes I even gripe and complain, I may whine a little bit. But you know what? Shame on me. God puts me right back into play again. Reminds me what he did for me. And I remember he suffered a lot more than me than what he asked me to do. Let's continue with verses 9 through 11. says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul continues to remind Christians, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you will bow to Jesus and confess him as Lord. No matter what, no matter who you are, what you've done here. He's speaking of those already in heaven. He's speaking of those still on earth. He's even speaking of those rejected, who have rejected him and are condemned. Even they will bow down and confess Jesus as Lord. Praise God. Verses 12 through 16. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in, bo- in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Doing all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul is saying to the church, Go and do what God has called you to do and work together. I don't know why, as human beings, why it's so hard to work together. I know we have all different personalities, but you would think, as Christians, you'd work better together, but we're still human. And he's saying, stop complaining, stop arguing among yourselves. And stop gossiping. If this is all you are going to do, and all that people are going to see, you are giving them a false impression of Christ. And then, this shows the church lacks the unifying power of Jesus Christ. Again, that, that shows people looking in that that church is lacking the unifying power of Jesus Christ. Question to you. What kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church do you desire? One is always complaining, arguing, and gossiping? If so, that is going to take away from doing what really matters. It wastes so much time. We love each and every one here. And you know, as leaders, we have to deal with problems. That's just the way it is. But you know, some of this stuff is so annoying, to be honest with you. We do it because we know we need to do it. But it takes away from doing God's business. When we have to deal with that, we're not dealing with God's business. And that gets frustrating sometimes. Do you want to be part of the problem? Or do you want to be part of the solution? A church who is constantly complaining and arguing and gossiping will miss out on its effectiveness for doing God's will. It will miss out on the blessings that come with doing God's will, as I said before. We miss out. You know, all our selfishness will 
you know, people, just want, pouring into people, as you can hear in my voice, I get frustrated. But pouring into people is so much more worth some of these things that we try to hold on to. There are so many things that are more important than these things. And granted, God's put them here for a reason. We can enjoy them, but when they become idols in our lives, it's taken away from what God really wants us to do as Christians. You're putting things above a life. That, to me, is so foolish. And think about where you'd be today if somebody was so selfish that they didn't talk to you about Jesus Christ. Where would you be today? Where would others be if they didn't see a church who loved one another? Who served together? Who worked in unity? It saddens me to watch people gossiping, arguing, complaining. My wife and I have a saying for people that whine, we have enough wine in our wine cellar. It gets tiring. You know? You know, like I said before, there is nothing more gratifying than watching someone come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then seeing their lives transform. I can, I can think, as I'm saying, I can see people in my own head. I can picture people that I've helped by God, for God, to come to know him and to mentor. It's been such a blessing to me to pour into some people. And it's been such a blessing to have people pour into me. But again, don't be like the water that's just stagnant. Don't sit there and do nothing. That to me is disobedient to what God calls us to do as Christians. We need to be about God's business. And I'm sorry, there's no excuse. There is no excuse. Paul did it from a prison. Where there's a will, there's a way. And you have Jesus Christ on your side. It's much more powerful than anything in this world. In closing, what legacy do you want to leave behind? What legacy? If you were to die today, how will, how will people remember you? Something to really think about. How will they remember you? Will they remember you as just somebody that will like things more than people? That puts so much time in these things? And again, don't get me wrong, it's, it's good to have things, you can enjoy them. But when those things take over more of your time than pouring into people, you're missing out. You are so missing out. And remember, those things are going to burn one day. They're not going to last. They won't last. 
Or will they remember you as a person who loved Jesus Christ? But not only said it, but lived it. Are you living the way Jesus Christ wants you to live? The legacy I want for me personally, wherever I go, wherever I am, is to leave the fragrance of Jesus Christ behind me. That's my goal. And I can't say I always am successful, but it's getting better and better. But that is the change in my heart that God has done in me. My love for others has grown tremendously, but you have to be in the Word of God on a daily basis. Just like a body can't sustain one meal a week, well, neither can you spiritually handle one week a day. I mean, one day a week of feeding. It's not going to last. Remember, it's your choice. Now you talk about choices. People complain that I don't have a choice, but you know what? This is our choice. And God gives us that choice. He doesn't make us do this. He allows us to do it. It's an honor and privilege to serve him. And it's never too late to serve. This lasts forever. Anything you do for Jesus Christ will last for eternity. And again, it's your choice. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for all you have endured for each one of us. And God, the Roman soldiers did not...